If you have a phone or iPad or something like that, 1 Samuel 18. And I just want to ask a question as we walk into our discussion here this morning. Do you have a friend? Like, I'm not just talking about people you know that you would recognize, and I'm certainly not talking about Facebook. Yeah, I have 780 friends. Really? I'm sure we all have people that we talk to or go out with or see on a regular basis, but are they really a friend? You know, a friend is said to be one in mind, but two in body. You know, when you've made an absolute fool of yourself, the true friend doesn't feel that you've done a permanent job. True friend has big ears, large heart, true words, helping hands, and thank God, a poor memory. And I'm sure as I mentioned this this morning, there are probably some, there's some right here, right now, that say, you know what, I don't have a true friend. You sit here feeling alone. You sit here feeling isolated. You have walls rather than bridges. And you found yourself empty of a genuine relationship. Dinah Craig once wrote this. What a great, what a great quote this is. Follow this, would you? She said, oh, the comfort, the inexpressible comfort of feeling safe with a person. Having neither to weigh thoughts nor measure words, but pouring them all right out, just as they are, chaff and grain together, certain that a faithful hand will take them and sift them, keeping what is worth keeping, and with the breath of kindness, blow them, blow the rest away. That's a friend. That's a good friend. So here we are in 1 Samuel 18, and today we witness one of the greatest friendships noted in all of Scripture. And let's get honest this morning. Come on, women. I know, I'm just going to walk into this trap of stereotyping. Women tend to be more open. They tend to want to connect more or talk with their friend or give them a call or go out with them. Um, I'm really going to walk there today. Have you ever been out like on a double or triple date and one woman needs to use the restroom? Come on, we've all been there. And they get up and they say, um, I'm going to use the restroom. Anyone want to come along with me? And guess what happens? The others, yeah, sure. And off they go. Men, don't ever ask me to come to the restroom with you. We're, we're different. You know, we're just different about this. For some reason, men tend toward isolation. They, they tend a little bit more toward being a loner. We really don't reach out for much relationship. And, and you know what? That's what makes this morning so unique. Because the friendship we're going to experience today is between two men, Jonathan and David. And the expressions of love, the expressions of friendship that Jonathan gave to David create one of the most beautiful 
portraits of relationships seen not only just throughout Scripture, but seen throughout time. And so we pick up the Bible's first statement of their relationship in 1 Samuel 18. This is where it all began, right here. So, so look along in your copy of the Scriptures. We're also going to put it up on the screen. 1 Samuel 18, 1 to 4 is going to chronicle this account, this relationship. And it says this. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David, and he loved him as himself. And from that day, Saul kept David with him and did not let him return home to his family. And Jonathan, boy, follow this. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Jonathan took off the robe he was wearing and gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. So God, we pray that over these next moments, you would open up our eyes to be a true friend. And not only that, to embrace the relationship of the truest friend of all, and that's Jesus Christ. Meet with us, work in us. Make today special for your glory, your credit. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So the text describes the birthplace of the friendship between these two men. And sometimes friendships bloom over months or years. Sometimes, boom, they happen instantly. And such was the deep and abiding friendship between Jonathan and David. So let me just, we, we're a little bit more familiar, if you've been in our study, a little bit more familiar with David and who he was, what he was about. So let's just rehearse David a little bit, and then we're going to go to Jonathan, the next individual in, in, the, in the whole um, account of this friendship. So here's a few things about David that we talked about the last few weeks. Number one, he was the youngest son of a meager family so I, if you remember, the eldest son in biblical days, that was the person. The younger one was no big deal, and especially he was the youngest of, of these seven brothers. And so really, he was the youngest of a meager family. They had very little. He got the lowest tasks. Now, when we last saw David before the battlefield with Goliath, his task was he was out in the field as a shepherd. So Here's how this worked in biblical days. So in Bible days, the oldest, or the next son would be out in the field as a shepherd if the family didn't have enough money for a servant. And so they would be in the field as they grew up and got bigger and they were able to help with plowing and sowing and harvesting the field. Then they moved up in their job and then the next youngest one down, boop, here you go. You're going to watch the sheep. That doesn't require a whole lot. And then as that son got older and able to help with the bigger tasks, the next younger son. So the youngest not only got the hand-me-down clothing and the hand-me-down supplies, he got the hand-me-down job, the lowest task known. Then here's another thing about David is he ended up not only with the lowest tasks, he had meager possessions. The last time we saw him when he was with Goliath, he took off Saul's armor and he said i can't handle this stuff and so we noticed what he was wearing he just he just had regular tattered shepherd 
clothes. He had a stick. He had a little leather pouch in which he put the five smooth stones. And then he had just this sling, just this little straps of leather with a, with a little uh, cup on there to be able to put the stone in and sling. He had next to nothing. Okay, Jonathan. Now, there's no way, friends, to imagine the polar opposite of the meager shepherd boy in biblical days to the eldest son of a king. This is just crazy how polar opposite. So here is, here is Jonathan, the eldest son of the king. King Saul, not the youngest of a meager family, the eldest son of the king. And here's a few different things about him. He was first in line for the riches of the kingdom. He had everything coming to him. Not only all of the riches of the kingdom, he was the first in line for the throne. So here's David with the hand-me-down, meager task of watching sheep. And then here's Jonathan, the prince, with all the possessions of the king coming. He wasn't going to be a hand-me-down position as a shepherd. He was going to be next in line to be the king of Israel. And then here's the reality of it. He had a posh life. So in contrast to David's tattered tunic and David's armor being a sling, with a shepherd's pouch, Jonathan wore over his garments a robe, a princely robe, most likely that of silk, most likely dyed with royal colors. Not only that, he had a crafted sword, a carved bow, and he knew how to use every bit of it they couldn't have been more different. This was a classic son of the president meets a boy from the hood situation. Their positions, their possession, their property, and their pedigree couldn't be any more opposite, which makes this even more special. And here's how they got together. This is the coolest thing, because you know they wouldn't say in their relationship, hey, how many servants do you have? No way, me too. They didn't say, oh, I've got the same robe. You know, they couldn't say, wow, and how much money are you going to inherit? I mean, they had nothing, nothing in common along those ways. So how in the world could they have been friends? Well, here's our theme verse. And it's from chapter 16. Here's how it is. Because the Lord doesn't look at the things people look at. Okay, are you with me? We look at things. Oftentimes our relationships are based on the superficial. What we have in common. We have the same stuff. We have the same interest. God doesn't look at stuff like that. Because people look at the outward appearance, but the Lord Follow with me. What does the Lord look at? He looks at the, he looks at the heart. That's what God looks at. And so here's David and Jonathan. Nothing in common as far as their livelihood, their life, their destined future, their pedigree. Everything was different. But what they saw in each other 
were the things that God sees. And those are the things that make for a real relationship, not a superficial relationship. And so here, if you're in chapter 18, you're going to notice some words that tip us off to the reality of what their life was together. So verse 1, after David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became, here's the phrase, one in spirit. One in spirit with David, and he loved him as he loved himself. I need to walk through this. There's a couple details I need to give you here this morning. One in spirit. The same word here for spirit is the same exact word that is used down in verse 3 where he says loved him as himself. It's the same exact Hebrew word as spirit that is used above. But here's the idea of spirit. The, the literal understanding of this, it was spirit bound with spirit. They were intertwined by who they were. It was a reference to their character, to the immaterial, to everything you don't see on the outside. The life you saw in one of them, you saw in the other. Their values were perfectly aligned. Who they were, their character is what they held in common. Now notice it says, loved him as himself. That was in verse 1, and it's also in verse 3. That word self is the same word spirit. They loved each other, who they were on the inside. And the word love, now just, I have to go there today. Let me just go there for a moment. Some have used the word love and the affectionate displays between these two to infer that David and Jonathan had a homosexual relationship. And so I just need to point out the reality of the wording here. Um, the Hebrew word for love, Ahab, used here is never used in scripture to refer to same-sex attraction or a homosexual relationship. In fact, there is a separate Hebrew word, yada, used in the Bible to describe that kind of relationship. It's not what's spoken here, just to clear that up. Some also bring up maybe their words or display of affection. There's, there's going to be a passage we're going to talk through a little bit later that uh, not today, but in future weeks, where it mentions that, that David rushed out and kissed Jonathan. Um, you realize they're not in America. Um, were you here for Roby Isaac a couple months ago? I just love Roby. Roby is awesome. And Roby is a Middle Easterner. And he gave you his story when he was here. Well, Roby owns Rightway Auto in town. And he's a good friend. So. Whenever I see Roby, I am getting kissed. <laughs> Just don't ask me to go to the restroom. <laughs> Roby, this is his culture. He comes up and says, oh, Brian, and one for each sheep, you know, and I've actually kissed him back. And I had a feeling if I bought a car from Rightway Auto, I'd get twice as many kisses. <laughs> this is their culture. And so we just can't read America into the Bible. I just want to make sure there's a distinction. You really understand the nature of their relationship. This was a select. This was a prime relationship. Probably unlike any Thing that many of us have ever experienced. 
truly. The level of love, the level of loyalty, the level of humility, the level of sacrifice shared between these two was not because of what man sees. Because man looks on the outside, God looks on the heart. They loved who the other one was. So something happened in verses 3 and 4. Notice this. Uh, Verse 3. Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. Now, we don't know what the words were, but we know how he symbolized it. So look what he did, verse 4. Jonathan took off the robe. We know the robe that he was wearing. He gave it to David along with his tunic and even his sword and his bow and his belt. I want to tell you three things about the covenant. Thing number one. In this covenant that he made, it was an unconditional covenant. Unconditional covenant. So Jonathan... The nature of it is that it was from Jonathan to David. Now the word covenant derived from the Hebrew means a determination, a stipulation, a pledge. This was a treaty. It was an alliance of friendship. It was a promise. It was an obligation between two parties. Jonathan said, I promise you, I'm going to do this. This is going to be my relationship with you no matter what. It was unconditional. Now in the Bible, there are seen conditional covenants and there are unconditional covenants. A conditional covenant is if you do this, then I will do this. An unconditional covenant is this. No matter what you do, I'm still going to do this. So, You figure out what kind of covenant this is. Your mortgage. It's a conditional covenant, isn't it? Just try not paying it and you'll find out if it's conditional or unconditional. But the type of covenant here was not conditioned. Jonathan says, this is what I'm going to be. I'm making a pledge to you. I'm making a promise. Here's Here's the next thing. It's a sacrificial covenant. Sacrificial We don't know the words of it. They aren't spelled out, but we know exactly what Jonathan communicated to David by the symbols. Notice the symbols. You see that right now? The first thing of the covenant, so follow, stick with me. First thing of the covenant, Jonathan gave him his what? His robe. Now, I just want you to get thinking, what is Jonathan telling David? Here's my robe, my my robe as prince. My robe as the next in line to the throne. Here's my robe. Here's my tunic. Here's my sword. Here's my bow. Here's my belt in which would be a dagger. What in the world is Jonathan expressing to David at this point. Just start thinking through this. See, Jonathan was the very next anoint, or he was the very next in line to be king, but David was anointed by God to be king. Now, I want, to, I want you to see a verse. It's in 
chapter 20, verses 30 through 31 of 1 Samuel. Notice this is exactly what they were dealing with. So here's later on, Saul tells Jonathan this. So follow along in uh, verse 30 and 31. It says, Saul angers, uh, Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan, and he said to him, you son of a perverse and rebellious woman. A little side note, um, Saul's wife was not in the room at this time, just so you know. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse? Check this out. To your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. Here's why. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. So send someone to bring him to me. He must die. So with that in mind, Saul and Jonathan knew you're to be the next king and the only one getting in your way is David. David needs to go. Now just think with me. So what did it mean when Jonathan said, David, here's my robe. Here's my tunic. The very weapons, because you know there would be coops, and here they would have to defend themselves from being assassinated. The very weapons that Jonathan would use to defend his kingship, he gave over to David. Here's the sword, here's the bow, here's the belt with the dagger, here's the whole thing. What was Jonathan expressing in his covenant to David? Here's what it is. By giving David these articles, Jonathan humbly relinquished all of his rights to God and all of his rights to David. He removed all symbols of royalty, all means to protect himself, and placed it on a young man, friends, whose clothes probably still stunk like sheep. And he said, you're the next king. God has anointed you. I am with you. I am behind you. I'm going to protect you. And that, my friends, is sacrifice. It's sacrifice. Here's the third thing, and then we'll finish up together. It was an unconditional covenant. It was a sacrificial covenant. It was a loving covenant. And you wonder, why in the world did he do this? And it's right in verse 1, chapter 18. After David had finished talking with Saul, Jonathan became one in spirit with David. Are you following it? And why? Because he, because he loved him. It was a loving covenant. I just want to finish with this. There's two ways we need to go this morning that you need to think about, and I do too. Wonder by looking at this, what can we learn? The very first one is consider your relationships with others. Consider your relationships with others. As we go through the whole account here in just a moment of Jonathan and David over the next number of weeks, 
we're going to see that God used Jonathan in an amazing way to defend David, to protect David against certain death, even to his own peril, even to the struggle of his relationship with his dad, the king. That's an incredible relationship. And I'm not going to ask you, um, you know, do you have someone that will do that for you? I'm going to ask you this. Do you have someone you would do that for? Who would you do that for? Who would you sacrifice for? Who would you be so loyal to and caring for? And I'm just going to flip America on its head right now. It's not about getting people interested in you. It's about you, like Jesus, becoming interested and investing in others. One has said this, and I love this. You can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in more people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you. Think about it. I know there's a number of people right here, right now, that say, I need a friend, a true friend, and I'm going to tell you everything the Bible says about this. It says a person that needs friends must show himself friendly. And just like Jonathan, he stepped out, he cared, he sacrificed, he loved, and he did it first. He initiated it. So I just want to ask us here in this moment, is that you? Are you an initiator? Are you someone that would reach out or are you someone that exits quickly? And so I want to encourage you right now to build the conduit through which you can help another person. And that conduit is relationship. Start something, dig in, plant a seed, see what blossoms. Because how pathetic, how sad, how empty to go through life without a friend. I want to finish with this. So not only consider your relationships with others, here's number two, and this is huge. This is huge. Consider Christ's relationship with you. Consider Christ's relationship with you. I just want to give these to you. There's, there's something that is special in the Bible. When you come across a person who has a lot of similarities to Jesus, we call them a type of Christ. So here's some similarities between Jonathan and Jesus. Think about this. Jonathan, son of the king. Hmm. Jesus, son of the king. Jonathan humbled himself and gave up his kingdom for another. Jesus humbled himself and gave up heaven to come to earth. Jonathan gave his riches to David. Jesus gives us 
the riches of heaven that we don't deserve as meager people, and yet he gives them to us in love. And then here's the last one, and we're going to come to this in a number of days. Jonathan ended up giving his life. He died to save Israel and to save David. And so here's the biggie. Jesus gave his life to save us. Amen? That's what it's all about, people. And this passage will point us to, you know, the type of friend we need to be. But then here's the other beauty. It's the type of friend Jesus is. Because the Bible says, greater love has no one than this, that a man lays down his life for his friends. That's Jesus, people. That's the God we worship today. Do you know? I mean, is he your friend? Do you believe that he died for you? Where's your relationship with Jesus Christ? And so if you would, would you stand with me? Would you think in your heart, where's my relationships? Where's my relationships with others? And if God is putting on your heart someone's name, man, I need to connect with them. Maybe your friendships have waned. Maybe there's someone you're distant from and God is tugging on your heart. You need to do something about it. Do it. Then here's the second thing. Maybe God's tugging on your heart right now. You're distant in your relationship with Jesus. You're far from God. Come to him. He's the best friend there is. He's such a great friend. He died to bear the punishment that we deserve for our sin. Give your life to him. Connect with him. Tell him that you're wrong for what you've done and that you believe Jesus died for you. So God, in the name of Jesus, these are our prayers today. Help us to connect with others and God help us to connect with Jesus thank you for this beautiful picture of relationship and thank you for the best picture of relationship in Jesus Christ grow us closer to him God we love you and together we pray this in the name of Jesus amen yeah amen hey God bless your day look at your friendships with others Look at your friendship with Jesus, the best friend there is. Have a great one. See some of you midweek for our kids' stuff and teen stuff, and all of you next Sunday back here to worship. God bless you.